Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me in a bit will be Tim Phillips, who will join us for this week's review. Happy post-Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope you had a good long weekend, a happy long weekend. Perhaps you spent time with a family and you did so safely, and uh, people who were sick did not show up to get others sick, and we had a uh, a safe and healthy holiday season that will prevent another uh, COVID lockdown. <laughs> Fingers crossed on that. Um, because, uh, you know, we're just getting back to the movies. I went to the movies over the weekend. I saw James Bond at the theater. It was great. There was a dozen people there. We were all socially distanced. And it was fine sitting in a movie theater for three hours. Anyway. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new dark drama, The Card Counter, which you can now stream on most video-on-demand platforms. In the first half of the show, we're going to do something not completely different. We've done interviews on this show before. Um, We don't do them too terribly often, Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to have one about every week. <laughs> um, so, the Gulf Film Festival is coming up uh, on November 5th. It's going to be a mostly watch-from-home affair, uh, although I think there are some in-person events. But the festival is going to run from November 5th to December 5th. And it's going to feature, as the Guelph Film Festival ordinarily does, a lot of fun, interesting, fascinating captivating documentaries. The Guelph Film Festival was one of the first kind of film festivals of its kind to have an entirely documentary-based format, and this year is no exception. The 21 program is no exception. So we're going to be talking to some of the various filmmakers over the next few weeks. This week we're starting with Everett Bumstead, who is a Vancouver area-based filmmaker who made the documentary One Million Trees. It is about tree planting in the Pacific Northwest in northern Alberta. It is uh, an interesting doc about some of the characters who dedicate their year to planting trees. Um, Some of them have done it for years. Others are kind of doing it as a stepping stone to other things. It's got a unique culture. It's uh, got a unique character in terms of the type of people who uh, spend the majority of the year just planting literally thousands of trees. So, uh, and Everett Bumstead comes to this uh, quite naturally. He was a tree planter himself. So th- this is a, a fascinating little conversation. It makes a bit more sense if you've seen One Million Trees, and you will be able to see One Million Trees as part of the Guelph Film Festival starting in a couple of weeks. But... Um, in the meantime, uh, I, I we're, we're going to give Evan Bumstead uh, a platform to promote his his new documentary. So here is our so Everett Bumstead. Interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a forty-four minute film, but it feels like it could have been like a hundred and forty-four minutes. Uh, and I don't mean that as pejoratively. I it was a generally fascinating area, but I mean. There's so much different aspects to, I guess, the tree planting life you could cover and you touch on as much of it as possible. I'm I'm curious, though. I mean, how long were you sort of out there talking to the tree planters and filming their work and 
you know, how, how, how long a film could you have made if, <laughs> if length had been no object? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really had to cram a lot in there. We had some ambitious ideas for the time slot that we were given. But um, so, yeah, we spent about nine months filming um, for this project. But a lot of the footage that you see in the, in the documentary has been accumulated by, I had a couple tree planting um, videographers who contributed footage and then myself as well. I had uh, some stockpiles of footage from when I was tree planting. So, you know, you're seeing kind of a, a footage that's been taken from just over the last 10 years, really. And then it was the interviews mostly that we shot over, over nine months. Mm -hmm. Well, you, I was going to ask, how, how did this subject matter sort of come to your attention? But you kind of just answered that. You, you are a planter. You are of the planting uh, constituency, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. After, uh, after film school in, in 2012, I had some student loans to pay off. And the, the classic Canadian archetype story, I guess, I went tree planting to do it. <laughs> So can you talk a bit about your experience about like the, the, the film goes into sort of the, the tree planting culture and what kind of people end up as planters. And, um, you know, you just mentioned your story, you kind of saw an economic opportunity, but there are a lot of people for whom it, it becomes a career, I guess, you know, from your experience, I mean, who, what separates the, the people who go into planting to find themselves and the ones who sort of make it a lifestyle and make it a career? Yeah, that's a really interesting question and definitely something that we were trying to explore, especially just, I guess, asking the question, why does somebody even choose to make this a career? Um, yeah, I think the, it's the, the lifestyle is very um, enticing. It pulls you in. Um, I did it for about four seasons. And so I was just kind of on that, um, boundary maybe between the, the people that are more like a tourist and, and the people that become lifers. Um, somebody told me that you shouldn't spend more time tree planting than you would spend in getting a degree in university. So I thought four years should, should be it. Um, the difference, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, I think it's it's uh, people that that want that just love the outdoors and want to stay in that lifestyle and and then. Uh, and then a lot of other people use it more as a, a jumping block to get somewhere else. Hmm. Did, did you keep track of how many trees you planted? Like some of the, the people in your movie? Yeah, I actually, like I didn't. That, I, <laughs> it's crazy that so many people even know their numbers, but I only worked for one company. And so um, during the, the filming of the documentary, they sent me my tree total and it was around 453,000, I think. It was. Wow. So, yeah, so close to half a mil. So yeah, about one one hundred twelve thousand trees per year. Yeah, that's some quick math. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never been accused of quick math before. Um, <laughs> I guess you know how open were people to talking about the planting experience? I mean, some people get kind of personal about you know some of the reasons why they 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 became planters or like some of the maybe less than ideal experiences you know a couple of the women talk about you know being amongst a, a community of mostly men and and how that drew out concerns so you know in terms of like how willing some of the subjects were were they eager to talk about the experience overall i'd say yeah absolutely um that was one of the driving factors in making this was that 
um, putting posts out there on Facebook and the tree planting groups. I had such an overwhelming response of people who wanted to talk about this. I think a lot of tree planters feel that, you know, their world and their career uh, isn't uh, really seen by most of the world and, and isn't really understood and, and what they're doing isn't understood. I think a lot of people have a hard time explaining it to people. So yeah, people have jumped at the opportunity to do an interview. And I think that kind of like dictated what the documentary became because these people were, were really just telling their own story and we were just kind of facilitating that. Um, there were a few people that, you know, uh, were sensitive uh, about whether we were and uh, trying, you know, like culturally, they were um, kind of afraid of, of like what our intentions were and things like that. But for the most part, people were really welcoming. Yeah. Coming from Ontario, uh, tree planting is kind of more of a hobby. Like you go out and do it for an afternoon. Um, but to, to make it clear for anyone who wants to see this movie, like, this is a job. This is a like a nine to five or a nine to nine job or sun up to sundown job that um, I think it very clearly. I mean, although people enjoy it, it it's physically weary. This is not uh, to, to borrow a phrase, a job for the faint of heart. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a very repetitive action. And um, <laughs> because it's a piece rate, you're getting paid by the trees that you plant. So um, that in turn makes people incredibly competitive and it makes you, you work, you know, way harder than you might for any other hourly job. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's the people are, are incredibly athletic. It's a lot of hard work. In terms of how you approach the movie itself, uh, the beginning I found had, and it makes sense because it's a CBC co-production, but the, the beginning of it had this very kind of like old CBC educational film kind of vibe to it, where it like, we're carefully explaining what this involves and we're giving you statistics and like, there's a nice reassuring narrator who, who leads you through all of this. Um, is that a kind of a style that was conscious or is, was that just sort of like the easiest way to tell the story? Um, I guess that decision came about because we were, we wanted to tell kind of this story that is seen through everybody, the universal story. Um, and so, yeah, having a narrator basing it around one person to start with um, seemed like the most logical place. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it before that in that way of, <laughs> of a classical CBC style. And it's true, we do. There's, a, there's just a lot to explain, I think, off the top. So um, that's part of it, too, I guess. How much of making the movie was sort of like a consciously, I guess, environmental story? Because... It, it, this kind of comes up at one point. I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but um, he's talking about how the planting, you know, 10, 20 years ago was kind of just like a matter of just putting the trees in the ground so that they could start growing so that we could have future trees for, you know, uh, development um, for, for whatever products those trees made and not so much of conscious effort to create biodiversity. And from what I got from that is that there's kind of like a futility maybe in some of these planters um, <laughs> that they're putting trees in the ground, not for posterity, not because a thousand years ago, someone will appreciate this tree, but they're also making a product. So I guess my question is, um, was, was that kind of like an influence on the film at all? Like this kind of push pull between the bright, happy version of like, yeah, I'm planting trees, but we're also creating a, a product as well. 
Yeah, I think I think you nailed it with futility. I think that that is something I thought about a lot um, while making it, and um, it's definitely an environmental story, you know, all the way through. Um, the just the fact that people are there planting trees, um, but the the thing is, is that story is so complicated. You know, whether you're talking about monoculture to um, you know pest control and, and aftercare and and uh, how the trees are planted and where and for, and just forestry is so complicated. So I think, um, you know, this is about the culture that exists in the fringes of this, of this worker group of people. Um, but inevitably it's, it's the environmental story as well. Is, is, I guess it's disillusionment a thing like uh, talking about, I'm going to go and plant trees and make a difference and, then you kind of get out there and it's, you know, it, there's helicopters and people dropping supplies and you got to meet quotas and you get paid by the tree. And I guess the, does the romanticism drain pretty quick? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, exactly. I don't think uh, it takes usually more than two weeks for um, the idealistic uh, view of what you're doing to kind of melt away. And definitely I, in my experience, uh, the camps that I planted, the tree planters themselves are quite cynical. And, and uh, so you, uh, you, you adapt to the, to that way of thinking. I guess then and maybe you can explain how, if this was intentional or not, but you know, it's this kind of a warning to the people who have those romantic ideals. Like I'm going to go plant trees and uh, be a part of the solution and all that. And uh, I mean, it's it's not too terribly often like life lives up to our romantic ideals so i guess can one million trees be seen as a oh it's almost like one million trees is a warning not uh an invitation right <laughs> that you have to plant one million trees and that's a quota and it it, it does kind of feel it, it it can be taken as both warning and and wisdom yeah absolutely i think i think a big goal for me was to make it kind of a window into the world of, of uh, silviculture and forestry. I think in Canada, um, we imagine all this land that we have and the, the great forest that we have across Canada as this serene and untouched um, thing. But but uh, in reality, it's there's a lot of work going on and there's a lot of roads being built and, and it's all it's all infrastructure and and um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a reality that we don't really see very often in Canada. And so that was what I was trying to show that, that um, yeah, this is what's happening in, in our backyard, basically. Is there a sign that maybe the attitudes are changing that, um, I mean, there's the, the big protests down in your neck of the woods, the Ferry Creek situation where you have indigenous groups protesting loggers. Uh, I mean, just more general awareness of, who whose land this is and and what the, the sort of higher stakes in all of this are is it, are, are we seeing a reaction that way yeah I, th I think that there is a a shift going on um and i think it comes from um from a lot of uh, just education and learning and perspective like this of, of things that are going on i mean yeah this documentary doesn't talk uh, much about old growth logging and and uh, the realities of that situation. But I do think it's something that people are talking about and uh, that, that we're learning more and more about. And, and uh, you know, there, I think there is change happening, but, but it's still kind of insane to think that 
today uh, that we would be logging old growth. Um, so <laughs> two steps forward, one step back, it feels like, I think. <laughs> Is there a sense, though, that, I mean, maybe amongst the, the old timers that, you know, maybe the days doing this are numbered, like not, ne- not necessarily the planting, but like the going into the forest, cutting down trees, filling a big truck, pulling it out. I mean, it are, you know, are, are the halcyon days, I guess, of logging over, or is it just, nobody's really thinking about that, about that, or it, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, the, a, a lot of this is, is maybe above me to answer, but my, to throw my opinion out there, I think that, um, you know, in some ways that's over, but I think that we've seen um, a sustainable way of, of doing forestry in Canada. There are sustainable ways. We have so much, um, so much forest land. So there's no reason that we can't do it in a way that um, can be sustained and, and, uh, and is, you know, prevents wildfires and, and, and bugs and, and to do this smartly. And I think, yeah, that means that we got to take a little chunk of money off the top and it's maybe not the same gold rush that it used to be, but I think that people can still make a career in forestry, but also do something that, that they're proud of that isn't going to leave um, scars for future generations. Let's turn the camera on you. Um, given your experience planting, if you were to interview yourself for this movie, I mean, what would, what would you say? How would you describe the planting experience? What would, what's the message you want uh, people to know from, from your experience about planting? I guess the, the, the biggest thing for me, I think, is that, um, yeah, tree planting had a huge um, effect on, on me and, and who I am and how I approach work and how I think about um, even living um, and lifestyle and stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was a very formative part of my young adult life. I think there were a lot of um, profound lessons that I learned and things that I learned about myself. And, you know, I, I didn't want to make a commercial for tree planting. And so that's mm. why there's a lot of the realities in there as well. But, but for me, this was um, an experience that uh, I think has made me a better person and, uh, and I've gained a lot of friends and, and the community through this. And, and so, uh, I, yeah, I want, I wanted to share those things, but, um, but also acknowledge the, uh, the very twisted, kind of a moral place that that all of that human experience lies within (laughs) you said you didn't want it to be a commercial so you know what is it that you hope people leave the film with what what do you hope people take with them as they're they're thinking about uh the movie and every everyone they heard from everything they saw i guess what's what's what what do you hope the message is um i hope that uh I hope that the message, you know, maybe isn't, is, is a bit of a subjective message, but I hope that it's that people come away with it kind of feeling and empathizing with the experience. Um, however they relate that in their own worlds, you know, I don't think that uh, this is going to necessarily make people want to go tree planting unless you're that personality type. And, and if this appeals to you, you know, yeah, there's, there's something going on there. You should, <laughs> but uh <laughs> Um, yeah, I hope that it, it just, uh, allows people to kind of live that experience for 44 minutes and, um, and, uh, have a little slice out of, of what it did for me, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe to wrap up, I, I will ask uh, because your your film is part of the larger well film festival. But for you as a filmmaker, I you know what does um, having one million trees in a in a documentary film festival mean in terms of like your exposure and your uh, you know kind of getting that message out and uh, you know what what are the sort of advantages? It's it's huge for me. Um, definitely as a as an emerging indie filmmaker, having your having your film play at a few film festivals is is huge for getting grants and for distribution and and these important things. But then especially the the Guelph Film Festival is exciting for me. I I grew up in Ontario as well, um, and my mom lives in Cambridge. So oh wow, we would often come to Guelph and and uh, go to the bookshelf to to watch. Uh, some indie movies and and so to have my film playing in Guelph that was like the highlight for my family we've had a few festival selections now um but but getting it played in in Guelph was something super special that uh my family was really excited about and uh yeah I really wish that it was uh that it was a live festival this year because any other time I'd I'd be able (laughs) to come to Guelph in a heartbeat so yeah everybody has a Guelph connection it's so weird (laughs) it's a special place yeah no no i i mean it's why we all live here anyway (laughs) everett bumstead thank you so much for all your time today thanks for having me and once again that was everett bumstead the director of one million trees which you will be able to see for yourself when the guelph film festival starts on november 5th And you can uh, find all that information at the Guelph Film Festival website at guelphfilmfestival.ca. Now, for something completely different, The Card Counter. Uh, We're going to review that film after the break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Oh, 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 I'll get him high, show him what I got. Can't read my, can't read my, can't read my poker face No, no, no Can't read my, can't read my, can't read my poker face No, no, no What happened? You get bored? Played some slots. You should read some books. I'm gonna buy you one. I've read books. What is it with her? Name one. One what? Book. Called Poker for Dummies. I believe you may have read it. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> wow, you made it to the second dinner break. I must have fired two dozen tournaments before I lasted that long. Simon, you're left. Four tables, so should be done tomorrow. How much cards do you play? Forty hands an hour, eight to twelve hours a day, six to seven days a week. Do you do anything else? Like what? 
And that was a clip from The Card Counter. It is the new film from writer-director Paul Schrader, and it stars Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. I'm now being joined on the line by Mr. Tim Phillips. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing well, Adam. Um, enjoying the autumn, seeing the autumn colors out for a long walk yesterday, able to see see some colors. And uh, Is it autumn? Yeah. I'm still sweating over here. All right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty humid out. <laughs> still warm. Still in yeah. short sleeves. <laughs> I wore shorts yesterday for my walk. So. <laughs> you wear shorts to go look at the autumn foliage. Which, yes. Uh, global warming is hilarious. It's uh, really funny. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about serious things like the card counter. A uh, mm-hmm. new film from Paul Schrader, who people may recognize as the direct or as the writer of Taxi Driver and uh, Raging Bull and The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, he is also directs his own scripts. Um, his last movie was uh, really well received. First Reformed, I thought it was really good. Um, he's also done uh, Autofocus, which was about. Uh, Bob Crane of uh, Hogan's Heroes fame and uh, one of my personal favorites, The Canyons, which stars Lindsay Lohan and a porn actor named James Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can pretty much imagine what that one's like. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about the card <laughs> counter. It, is that sarcasm? It, I haven't seen The Canyons. Did you like it or is that is that sarcasm there? No, 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 no. It's okay. uh there's another Lindsay Lohan movie uh, called I Know Who Killed Me, where she plays twins. And one of the twins is a good girl. And the other twin is like a stripper with one leg, if I'm remembering correctly. That is a masterpiece compared What's to what's it Canyons. called. I have to write that down. Uh, I, I think it's called I Know Who Killed Me, if I remember correctly. But it's that that is a work of sublime genius compared to the Canyons. But we're here to talk about Card Counter. So uh, what, what was the appeal for you to check out this new Paul Schrader movie? Yeah, Adam, well, I, I saw it on Amazon Prime, and I'm f- familiar with Paul Schrader. And most people know him for writing screenplays for Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and some other Martin Scorsese films. And he has directed his, his own films, and I found them interesting. The ones I've seen up until this point, I, I'd found you know, somewhat flawed, but he's somebody who really cares about film. So you knew that he was going to put his heart into a project or you think he would, he put his heart and his, um, be intellectually and emotionally invested in a project. So I thought that's good. There's so many throwaways these days, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's good to see somebody really cares and see what he's putting out there in the world. And I'm also really interested in poker. And I thought this would be more of a, a card, card movie because <laughs> <laughs> it's called the card counter yeah and uh i i was hoping i'd see some really good poker scenes you know like some of my favorite movies like rounders with matt damon cincinnati kid i really like those scenes um those intense scenes of card playing which there's a little bit of that in this film but don't go on expecting another rounders or cincinnati kid it's definitely not really a card it's not really about playing cards that's for sure 
No, card counter is more of a state of mind than the card counter. Uh, although he is a card counter, it's um, it, it's an interesting movie. I mean, it, Paul Schrader is a, a director whom you don't know what to expect from because sometimes he can go like right into the <laughs> he can veer right into the the toilet of something like uh, the canyons, as I said. Um, um, he, he, but he can also surprise you with something like First Reformed, which, uh, you know, all his movies essentially deal with like a man struggling with belief and um, loneliness and isolation. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting theme given everything that the world's experienced the, the last year. And um, it, it, it's not, nece- it doesn't necessarily. I mean, there are there are kind of some parallels to Taxi Driver, but it's not it, it's not necessarily the same as as Taxi Driver, which I mean, probably is the most famous thing Paul Schrader has ever done is write that movie. But it, it there, there's a lot to this that I found very very interesting. Um, some of it is difficult. Uh, I mean, the material is difficult. Um, some of it is the way in which Schrader handles the material, which is just difficult because he's just generally a difficult man and a difficult filmmaker, but, uh, it is held together with this great performance by Oscar Isaac, this great sort of cool, methodical performance, this man who you can always see the inner struggle. Um, he's someone who thinks he's in control but he's clearly struggling to maintain that control and uh the film is very much about like what happens when he kind of i mean he he very much lives his life like a card counter he's very much about like counting the points and counting the cards and uh keeping a routine not playing not making big gambles although he's a gambler and i, I think that Tiffany Haddish character makes that point that he's a gambler who doesn't really gamble. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting struggle. It's a quiet movie and um, it's complicated and I, I liked it. it it's, it, it is, um, it's not as forceful as like Schrader usually gets like he, he tries to court controversy um, sometimes and, you know, he comes into the room like a bull in a china shop to say, look how controversial I am. But this is this is not that this is very, very quietly sort of dealing with big stuff, just like through the the quiet sort of mental struggle of of uh, this Oscar Isaac character who is, you know, living the life of a card counter. He counts cards at the table, but he counts cards in life, too. And um, that's hard. Yeah. And I, I, I found Adam. Oscar Isaac does an excellent job. It's real sort of, it's real slow burn, you know, interior character. He's just, it's, you know, what he, he's trying to portray what he's thinking more than what he's saying. He's, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't say a lot, man, a few words, um, has his regimen every day. Um, That consistency, he really, he, he really gets off on that. He really lives his life, you know, in a, certain scheduled patterns, which he really likes. And it's interesting. You brought up um, first reformed. Um, mm. Cause I, ha- I hadn't seen that film and it had been on my like watch list for a while. So after I watched the card counter, 
I decided to stay up late and I watched First Reformed. And <laughs> that's a good I, late watch. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, yeah, that is that's a compelling movie. That I think what he was going for in the card counter, he achieved in um, First Reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of integrates those elements because Paul Schrader wants to put his opinions out there. You know, he wants to in the card counter. He's, uh, you know, focused on Abu Ghraib and the, um, sorry, Abu Ghraib, I pronounce it wrong all the time, Abu Ghraib and the, um, the, the torture that went on there during the war. And that's the backdrop for Oscar Isaac. He uh, was involved in that and he stayed in a, a military prison afterwards for his crimes and learned to car- uh, count cards there in the military prison. And Paul Schrader's yeah, focused on sort of the, the horrors of the torture, horrors of the war. Um, and in First Reformed, he's focused in, you know, the horrors we're doing to the planet with like global warming, climate mm-hmm. change. And but I felt with First Reformed, he sort of integrated it more. And the Ethan Hawke character, you could see see his thought process and and you know where where he was going with you know with his opinions about how they're mistreating the world and how they shouldn't mistreat God's creation Mm -hmm. in card counter. You get that from Oscar Isaac. You can understand. Okay. He's tortured from, from the, the torture he inflicted on other people, but it, it didn't, for me, didn't really integrate as well. It was like, there was almost like these shock moments that came up, which, Mm-hmm. I think we're uh, effective um, and horrific, but it didn't really meld in, into the film as much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot I liked about the film. I, I felt like, yeah, there was like this whole slow burn about it where it's like, okay, what's he, what's he doing? He, he, um, he takes it, you know, there's this uh, younger gentleman there that he takes under his wing and, um, Kirk with a C. Kirk, Kirk with a C. Yeah. Kirk Beaufort, played <laughs> by Ty Sheridan, whose father um, was also involved in the torture in the Iraq War um, as a soldier, and he uh, he ended up killing himself. So um, Kirk with a C uh, reaches out to William Tell, Oscar Isaac's character, to uh, find out more about what really happened in the war, and Oscar wants to take him under his wing and sort of help him out um, because Kirk has all these debts, wants to help him out with that. So you've got this sort of like a sweet story underneath, uh, you know, a sweet story of redemption is what Paul Schrader's going for. And the Tiffany Haddish character is excellent as well as uh, becoming, she plays La Linda, who's William Tell's uh, manager. She puts him in a stable where they back him as a gambler, Mm -hmm. as a poker player. Um, and there's this interesting friendship that develops between the two of them. So that's all great. But then I felt like it, the movie was really derailed by the ending. Mm. Um, to me, the ending didn't work. I thought the other actor, we're not talking about Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I thought he was wasted in this movie as major John Gordo. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried to have him as sort of the, you know, the stereotypical autocrat, um you know (laughs) military man but he's has so little screen time really Mm. um 
there there is a, a flashback to some of the torture that he's involved in 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 the war um which you know adds to the character but he he has you know so little to work with i found mm-hmm. and then for him to be involved in like a, like a, this pivotal ending i just didn't i didn't really buy it mm-hmm. and it just felt like oh man I was sort of riveted up until that point, and then it just really fell flat for me. And in watching First Reformed right after, I was feeling the same way, but I did, the ending was with so much intensity in First Reformed mm-hmm. that I think they, they pulled it off. It's an ambiguous ending in that movie, but Ethan Hawke's acting is just so strong at the end, and I think it pulls it off, and it's very powerful. Where in this, to me, it just it just sort of fell apart. It's like, there's so much more they could have done at the end of this film. I think it almost like needs a rewrite or mm-hmm. it was almost like they ran out, almost like they ran out of money or something. <laughs> <laughs> you can say, Oh, he's, he's taking more of a, a subtle, uh, you know, a, a subtle approach, but it's all to me, it's almost like there, there just needed to be more, more of a payoff to everything at the end. I think there's a couple of casting sins in the movie. And one of them, unfortunately is Willem Dafoe. Um, I think because he's such he's such a strong actor and he brings so much personality. I think that there was the assumption that you you plant Willem Dafoe in this small role and he would Willem Dafoe it. And by the time you get to the the ending and you see this this character get his comeuppance, um, you would sort of feel it, but you don't because. It's weird because all the Abu Ghraib scenes are done with this sort of like fisheye lens that like distorts everything, which um, in the moment you kind of find upsetting. It's like tough to process just how, you know, watching this distorted scene. And I thought that was effective. But when you get, but you're right, by the time you get to the end and there's supposed to be like a payoff for this character, it, it's kind of hard to, to, to sort of feel that emotion because. Um, the, the Gordo character has been almost this like imagined terror this whole time um, because he appears in these like kind of dream sequences <laughs> of, yeah. of what really happened at Abu Ghraib and um, the other sort of loose casting here is Ty Sheridan as, as Kirk. I, I just, um, I gather that we're supposed to believe there's some sort of inner tumult in Kirk, but Ty Sheridan, I just, I don't think he's that great an actor. Um, I mean, I, I've seen him in stuff like, I mean, the X-Men movies. Uh, what else was he in? Ready Player One. And he's just, he's not great at portraying characters, especially in X-Men where he plays Cyclops. And I mean, the movies have never gotten Cyclops from the comics like right because you know cyclops is supposed to be like a brilliant tactician um which means he has a pretty big inner world but none of the actors have been able to portray that including ty sheridan but uh leaving x-men aside it, it just you have these stretches where you're he's kind of like sort of mumbling and he's not exactly sure and i guess that you know the point is to like portray his indecisiveness but the way the way Schrader kind of lets it play out, um, it feels like 
he goes to Gordo's house because he's supposed to, because it's in the script, rather than feeling like an organic choice that the character has made to not take William's advice to go to, to take the money, go to his mom, go back to college, make a life for himself, forget all about his path of vengeance. And he decides to go with vengeance. It feels like that's a decision the script made, not the character. And that kind of taints everything that happens after that. And not for nothing, but I, one of the things that profoundly disappoints me is that there's no comeuppance for that USA, USA guy, Mr. USA. Yeah, I thought for <laughs> sure he would end up in a room. I yeah. thought he'd end up in, <laughs> in, that, in a motel room at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that was extremely <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> But, but, yeah. uh, but leaving that aside, yeah, the, the ending, um, I, I get what Schrader was going for, but, um, the, the writing in the end is kind of sloppy because it feels like everyone's acting according to the script and not according to organic decisions that have been sort of laid out in the first three quarters of the movie. Yeah. And Adam, I, I, I probably disagree a little bit on Ty Sheridan. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it might be that he's not that great an actor, but I, he had, <laughs> I would say like a really natural performance to me, like as this, hmm. you know, 20 something indecisive, uh, you know, indecisive guy who's just sort of along for the ride at a certain point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, he could have used more moments. Like when he first encounters William Tell at that, uh, at the conference where, uh, uh, Major John Gordo's uh, talking about advanced interrogation techniques, um, and he he's, he's like, "I know you, and I know you, William. I know you. You were with my dad in the war." Mm-hmm. And then, and he's very forceful, and he tells him, "Here's what I want to do to John Gordo. I want to go and torture him. You want to do this with me?" Uh, and he's very, you know, decisive and angry. And then the rest of the movie is just sort of drifting along with uh, William Tell on the road, and you don't see that much every now and then he might bring it up if i recall correctly but you don't really see that he's 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 into it and there there aren't any like really powerful moments with him so could have used that i thought the decision for him to go to instead of going to his mother's to go to um john gordo's house i kind of liked it at the moment i was like oh oh crap here we go you know (laughs) it's yeah the text he sends to william where he says, wish yeah. you were here. And then the photo of Gordo's house appears. That was great. That, that, that scene was great, but yeah. And, 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 and William <laughs> tells in the middle, he's become a big poker star. He's in the middle of the like final table, this big poker tournament. And he doesn't know what to do. Right. He's like, do mm-hmm. I leave? I got to keep playing. And you can see Oscar Isaac's, like you said, excellent in the role. You can see like the inner, inner monologue going without any voiceover at that point of him yeah. at the table. Like, what do I do? Do I stay here? Do I go? Yeah. That part see, was well handled. Yeah. Just to, to see what happens. The bigger problem I had is once, uh, once William Tell goes to major John Gordo's place, we find out what happened with, uh, with the kid. He's mm-hmm. been calling him the kid. Um, <laughs> Ty Sheridan's character. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Kirk with a C. Okay, I remember. Incidentally, but, um, better name than Kirk with a C. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But one, my problem is once he gets there, um, just pretty much the ending and th- the fact that they, you know, there's, 
in film, they say, oh, well, you know, off-screen violence is more effective. You know, it's scarier. Like in Jaws, you barely see the shark or whatever. Mm. And that scene to me just it came across almost silly in a way. It didn't, it didn't strike me. It was too quick, too. Yeah, it was quick. And it didn't strike me like that that would, act- that would actually happen that way. You know, mm-hmm. it just sort of, uh, it was just sort of a, a choice a choice I wouldn't make. And the thing about this, this film is like, it had so much going for it. I think throughout that there are other directions it could have gone. in. I think that would have just been more powerful. And, you know, Paul Schrader, I don't know if his lack of money or mm. pro- probably not. I don't know. He had a lot of executive producers on this. Martin Scorsese was mm-hmm. an executive producer, but I think he almost made the choice. Like I'm going to go more, I'm going to go more subtle. I'm not going to go with this, the cliche, big, you know, big lack of better term battle scene at the end or this big, you know, Mm. fight at the end. I'm not going to go with this, but I think it loses the power. Like there, I think the slow burn throughout makes, would have made it more powerful for there to be uh, more of a confrontation at the end. And like you said, I agree with would that have even paid it off that well, given that Major John Gordo isn't really developed throughout? Mm. Um, so I think there are things they could have done, like with rewrites of the script and different choices that would have would have made this a much more powerful, powerful film. I went in hoping for a card movie, ended up with a, a torture movie, but I think they could have made a better torture movie. That's what I'm saying. Uh yeah, I will amend my comment about Ty Sheridan slightly that it, when he's the, the, the first couple of scenes he's introduced, I was like, okay, I'm interested to see where this is going, where he he takes this because he's very direct. He kind of has a mission, but like the the point that William makes with him is like, you, this is a stupid mission. You're you, and your plan is stupid. Um what kind of struck me is that Schrader, we've already talked about, has basically been like remaking Taxi Driver in several different ways all this time. But in in sort of this, Schrader has taken sort of Travis Bickle and turned it into two different characters, William and, and Kirk. William, of course, having been to war, like like Travis Bickle did, understanding the effects of uh, of that on a man, um, how a man kind of suffers. He's, you know, sort of quietly kind of trying to overcome that um, by putting himself in this regimented routine and focusing on the day-to-day activities of counting cards, uh, making the small bets, getting just enough money to sort of like you know, have a week and then go back to the casino and make a bit more money. And just, it, it's a very regimented routine. The Kirk character is like how a lot of people see Bickle as it's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get revenge on the SOBs. I'm going to tear them apart. I'm going to uh, give them the justice that the powers that be didn't give them. I'm going to get revenge. And it's going to be awesome. This is, this is, you know, this is how I, you know, fix things. This is how I um, prove my worth. And I mean, both of these essentially are wrong points of view um, because I mean, 
the, the Oscar Isaac character, William, he, like, he, he has no direction, but he has sort of purpose. Um, the, the Ty Sheridan character has, has direction or he has purpose, but he has no direction. Yeah. And so it would have been, I, I just feel like the character, both of them are too cool by far given like everything but i just feel like the the kirk character should have been more on edge like the fact that william sort of diverts him from this purpose that he has convicted convinced himself he has this conviction i will kill gordo i will torture him i will maim him i will make him pay and that will be restitution for this crappy condition that is my life and it just I, I, my feeling is he would not have, although he probably would have went along with William because he respects William and their, his father served with him and all that stuff. He was just way too cool. It was just like a very kind of <laughs> slackers kind of interpretation of this character who I feel like just would not be so cool just to go along with this and being diverted from the mission and listening to this guy try and talk him down from his revenge. It just it doesn't feel quite right. So when it when he does go and do it, it's kind of, it, it and tries to get the revenge. It feels a bit out of left field, um, because yeah, it felt like this kid hasn't cared about much of anything the entire time. Yeah, it just it's like a ch- choice of the script, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And Paul Schrader seems to be in love with red herrings. And there was a scene where <laughs> um, Oscar Isaac and Ty Sheridan are at the bar, and there's uh, a woman at the bar, and she's crying. Mm-hmm. and and they're like are you okay and she's like oh i'm okay and she's crying and you think okay is this going to lead to something in most movies right that would she would become a character somehow mm-hmm. but no it's just like a throwaway moment and lo- like what you were saying for the two leads oscar isaac and ty sheridan they're super cool it's almost like ty sheridan you needed something mm-hmm. you know they're just having a drink and he sort of breaks down or something just something to show that it's still on his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has anger. Uh, he, he still wants revenge somehow. You don't mm-hmm. have to do it over the top or anything, but just like just little elements because he does go from, yeah, he goes from like wanting revenge, you know, and yeah, I'll go and hang out with you as you play cards. Yeah, yeah to, to being a surfer or something, you know, yeah. he's like, I'll yeah. just drift by, I'll be a surfer dude, drift drift with you while you're you're playing cards and uh, i guess i'll play some slots or something (laughs) yeah Yeah. you could have them like that i think but you just need some moments or else yeah yeah, it doesn't make sense it's just like they they just jump to that and uh he needed to build up to it is yeah yeah there had to be a build up and i I felt like with first reform which had more of an effect on me after i watched it i was reading about the ending and and paul uh, interview with paul schrader and he was saying he wasn't sure if he wanted to go through Robert Bresson ending, ending or the Carl Dreyer ending. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, and, and the interviewer was like, oh, wow. So this is um, homages or, you know, inspired by other films. And he was like, yeah, I'm always just taking. I'm just st- stealing <laughs> smartly, basically. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, because I really liked First Reformed. And but I was thinking, you know, so many directors do that or say they do it like Quentin Tarantino and, and others say, Oh, I just steal from here, steal from here, put it together. And I felt maybe with the card counter, he could have stolen 
from somebody or stolen from some better sources <laughs> um, for how it uh, how it goes at the end. I, I feel like almost the ending, maybe it was an original ending and they just didn't have enough ideas or didn't have enough emotional weight to it in a way. Um, yeah, I, I felt the guy kind of lost near the near the end. And uh, maybe if he was stealing from some other sources, you know, some classic French directors or something, it would have would have had more depth to it at the end. I mean, it would have been more meaningful too if like, I mean, yeah, Gordo lives in a nice house and gets invited to, you know, give talks and things, but I mean, kind of where are the stakes, you know, killing this like one anonymous guy. And I understand that, um, that he was kind of like the, the most, Part of it too is uh, he's not like a, he was he one of the reasons he got away with it is because he was not officially part of the government. He was like a, a black ops kind of mercenary or something. He was part of like a one of these um, like mercenary business people that the government hires. Um, I, I just feel like it was the, the stakes are kind of small time. I mean, again, not to bring up Taxi Driver, but I mean, a lot of that movie is about him like plotting to kill this politician running for president. It's, you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, Rumsfeld's dead now, but I, I don't think Rumsfeld had died at the, while they were filming the movie, Rumsfeld died relatively recently. And they do show Rumsfeld in news clips. And it's like, well, you know what? Abu Ghraib was bigger than, you know, Gordo or the, the Gordo surrogate in real life. You know, there was, Secretary of Defense. It was the Assistant Secretary of Defense. It was the National Security Advisor. There were people at the Justice Department who wrote rewrote laws to make it okay to torture, and you know, all the way up to the Vice President's office. And uh, of course, you know, the buck stops at the president. And you know, it just feels like the problem is bigger than the one guy. And I, I mean, maybe it speaks to Kirk's slacker nature that. <laughs> He'll kill the one guy who was there and that will solve things. But I mean, uh, say what you want about Travis Brickle, but he he had ambition. So (laughs) it's what I'll say. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard for me to equate um, Kirk with Travis Bickle. I can see why (laughs) I can see why they would say that. But just total lack of intensity. I'd almost. Yeah, it'd be more of the. William Tell character, but then he's not, he's not that unhinged, right? He's, mm. well, he's, he's trying to stay hinged <laughs> as best he can, but he might be more of the comparison I would make, especially with what he's done in his motel room and covering I mean, everything so, in sheets. And, yeah. That whole thing is so bizarre and it's never like really explained why he's doing it. So it's kind of left to your imagination, but it, I, it's, it's such a bizarre kind of offset up, like op, upsetting offsetting action to like walk into a hotel room open your suitcase and have a bunch of sheets in there and then cover every surface with the sheets it's like you're you're trying not to leave a trace it's it's like disturbing and sad all at once and i i love those little details but i i wish (laughs) i wish the movie had been a little sharper on some of the other details too yeah those details were yeah it's definitely like it, it it get it freaks you out in these certain mm. points and just mm-hmm. these little details. Paul Schrader is really 
really good at that, right? Like, oh, he puts the sheets on. You're like, what's about to happen here? What's going on? Or mm-hmm. the flashbacks with like the fisheye lens, like you were saying to the to the torture from the war. Um, it, it it definitely it definitely keeps you keeps you interested. And I just felt for me, it, it fell apart. And it's tough when you're you know two thirds yeah. invested in a movie, and then you just feel like, oh my god, I don't, I've lost. Uh, I feel like it's lost the plot. I don't, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. can't go where, but I, I, we haven't really talked. Tiffany Haddish, I th- thought was yeah very, very good in the movie. I, I would have given her an Oscar for bad trip. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think she's right up here with this, this, this role as La Linda. I thought it was great. And I thought their, uh, their friendship, uh, special friendship um, with William Tell. I, I like that. And I <laughs> just the mention of bad trip makes me laugh because of yeah. the, 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 she's yeah. so good in that. She's just, yeah, she's a really talented actress, right? She's done like broad comedy and now she's doing a, yeah, she's reaching more here. Stuff. She, she's like reaching. This is something she like a role, a kind of role she's not done because she's like, she does those kind of broad comedy things, like you said. Um, so she is using all new tools here and she is she's impressive to watch. I'm not sure the role is equal to mm-hmm. her willingness to stretch here, but I, I appreciated her willingness to, to try. And, and she is very good in this like role as, as a sort of like confident woman who manages all these like gamblers. Like she doesn't take any, bs she's she knows how to sell people like reluctant people like william tell and how to get them on 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 side and um she's like the most human she's actually the most human person in the movie um because she's untouched by any of this stuff and and she really grounds it in a sense and uh i it was always great that when when Linda would (laughs) reemerge from wherever she is between gambling (laughs) trips so <laughs> yeah she 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 could have there could have been more uh screen time there for tiffany haddish for sure mm. and i think that's paul schrader so many of his movies are really male dominated right yeah you talk yeah, about yeah. taxi driver like Sybil shepherd quite good in that she, uh in her role and her relationship with travis bickle like the date they go on it's just such mm-hmm. such intense scenes and then you know she's not that that's about it for sort of female presence in that movie and it's the same in so many of his other movies right you've got the there's these good supporting roles for actresses but then Mm -hmm. you know they might get lost in the shuffle a bit because that's what he's he's sort of focused on is Mm -hmm. male protagonists Mm -hmm. and i i think for this it was it it worked um oscar isaac i thought what was excellent in his performance. I'm not a huge Oscar Isaac fan, actually. So mm, mm-hmm. I thought he did well. Um, inside uh, Lewin Davis, I, I always found that sort of overrated, but that mm, was his breakthrough performance. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, it, it, he did a did an excellent job. But then I watched First Reform with Ethan Hawke, and I'm like, wow, that's what a performance. But then he was asked to do more. He was act, asked to extend a little bit more um than oscar isaac oscar isaac he's supposed to like just stay restrained pretty much the whole movie and that's where i could have used an explosion at the end 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think he, he really kind of needed that outlet at the end. Uh, but I mean, um, it was a fascinating movie. It was, you know, well shot. Uh, Paul Schrader clearly has like a lot of command over kind of what he wants to say, even if it doesn't necessarily uh, affect me, but I mean, watching card counter come for Oscar Isaac, stay for Oscar Isaac. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie with a lot of interesting ideas and uh, it's, uh, it's well worth a look. It's a good and sit. It, and it's not, if you want a true card movie, probably not. <laughs> it's, it, it starts with uh, talking about blackjack and how to bet on blackjack. And you're like, okay. And then it's not so yeah, much. After this, that. this is not a how to guide. It's, <laughs> Good, good, good addition. Uh, Tim, if people want to talk about the fine art of card counting or poker playing, how can they get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, Flash in the deadpan on social media. And I would say we talked about some Paul Schrader films. Um, Card counter costs some money, but he's got some, he's got First Reformed and also Light Sleeper, which is a good movie with Willem Dafoe, a lot more... uh, depth of character for Willem Dafoe so check out those two on Prime if you haven't seen them they're there with a subscription free of charge and that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it and if you want to listen to it again you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com you can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google and Spotify and speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the End Credit Show. Just open up your Spotify app and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can go to my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We will be back here next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.